0: It is Kale and Company Live. Great to have you with us on this Monday morning. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or me.com And joining me live in studio on this Monday morning is retired Lieutenant Colonel and Professor Mike Moffett, Mike, great to have you back uh, in studio. It's been uh, much too long.
1: <laughs> Ken, always great to come in and see you and Cat, and uh, and and talk about important stuff.
0: Hey, well, we, we we you know we try we try to talk about the important stuff, stuff that people care about, uh, right here on WKXL and uh, uh dot com. But we would be remiss we want to talk about. Uh, a, a bill that you are presenting to the New Hampshire legislature, uh, but uh, I know you saw some of the Patriots game yesterday. Yes, I did. Yeah, and uh, you know Buffalo after uh, the the cardiac arrest uh, Monday night suffered by uh, Demar Hamlin, they have had a, a tumultuous week, and there was some question as to uh, whether that game would be played. Uh, on Sunday between the Pats and the Bills until about uh, well, Wednesday or Thursday when they determined they would go forward because, fortunately, uh, DeMar was getting uh, better. He even watched the whole game uh, yesterday and was texting, I guess, throughout the entire game. So that was great. But how about the opening kickoff by Naheem Hines uh, being returned for a touchdown? I mean, that's, that's like storybook stuff.
1: It sure is uh, with, uh, you know, the the Buffalo Bill player watching from the ho- his hospital bed, yeah. you know, having been, uh, you know, so close to death and then to have the opening kickoff return like that. Very emotional. And, uh, of course, you love that. You know, wh- whoever you're rooting for, the, the, the human drama, uh, the poignancy of, of that occurring. And... Uh, but after that happened, sometimes when you get on a real emotional high, you can't maintain that. And uh, Patriots came back and it was seven, seven, 14 to 14,
0: and they even it, took the lead at one point.
1: they yeah yeah they they, you know, they came back, they had a shot at it uh, yeah. but uh, I guess coach Belichick is he was a genius, but now he's he's no longer a genius apparently. Uh, you know,
0: most coaches are geniuses when they have Tom Brady uh, in his prime. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was that long debate. Who, who, who was most responsible for the Patriots' success? Was it Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? And I guess you could still uh, debate that issue. And, and certainly both deserved a lot of credit for, for what took place. But uh, we have seen what happened uh, following the, the departure of Tom Brady. And uh, Brady has been to the playoffs uh, all three years that uh, he has been with Tampa Bay, and the Patriots have made it just once.
1: He went to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl his first year there. You now, yeah. there's a story. Some would say Bob Kraft is, is part of that triumvirate. That oh, sure. Was, oh,
0: absolutely, yeah.
1: Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. and uh, But uh, I don't know all the details, the inner, inner stuff behind Brady's departure. You know, people speculate, but... Uh, uh, it's it certainly was uh, sweet for him to uh, immediately win his seventh Super Bowl. His yeah. first with the Buccaneers.
0: Yeah, it was, and uh, now they're going to the playoffs again. Even though the Patriots in Tampa Bay had exactly the same record this year <laughs> at eight yeah. and nine. How about that? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but the Bucks are going to the playoffs, and uh, interestingly enough, a week from tonight, a week from Monday, they will be playing uh, Dallas in a Monday night wild card round game. So that's going to be an interesting one. No question. That'll be uh, in Dallas because uh, uh, Dallas is one of the top seeds and uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, well, they won the uh, the NFC South but with a losing record. So that tells you something about that division.
1: That sure the... It sure does. But both the AFC East and NFC East, uh, late in the season, everyone in those two divisions had winning records, uh, which is interesting. A lot of people used to say the NFC East was the worst division, but uh, uh, not this year. Oh,
0: and uh, if you think about those two Patriots' losses to oh. Vegas and to Cincinnati, where they were knocking on the door and could have scored the, uh, the go-ahead touchdown late in that ball game against Cincinnati, uh, you know, could be a whole different story.
1: Yeah, could have, would have, should have, especially yep. that game against the Raiders. Oh, that, that, oh man. The, the Patriots literally had the ball— yeah. When time ran out, there was zero seconds on the clock. Fourth quarter was over. They had the ball, yeah. uh, and they still lost in regulation. I yeah. mean, that's, has that ever happened? But uh, what, uh, what a game that was. The
0: Raiders scored two touchdowns in 32 seconds, the final 32 seconds, two touchdowns. And they, the Patriots literally threw that
1: one away. Yes, and And, uh, that's one of those games that will never be forgotten. It's like when Joe Picharchik, I know you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yes, I do. That was like
1: 1978, and uh, the the Giants were running running out the clock, and uh, seconds left, and they – Missed up a, uh, a handoff and yeah. the Eagles picked up the ball and was scored. It Herman a... Edwards. Uh, yes, yeah, it was. Herman Edwards. That and picked that's up that my fumble. fumble. Ken, yeah. it's <laughs> been uh, 40, <laughs> 46 years and you you know who picked up that. So this is going to be one of those games, too, that, pe- that 40 years from now people will be saying, we'll be talking about it.
0: People will be writing columns about it, just like you, <laughs> Mike Moffat, will be writing columns about this 40 years. Uh, from now, no no doubt about that. Mike is also a uh, a writer for the uh, Weirs Times, and I enjoy picking up the Weir's Times uh, every week. Uh, so give us a preview of what's happening uh, this week uh, in your column.
1: Well, thanks for asking, Ken. actually, this week's column, which will be out in a day or two uh, with the Weir's Times is about John Harrigan, who I know you know oh, John, yes. the, the yeah. late the late yeah. John Harrigan, uh, an institution in the North Country yeah. where where I have deep roots. Uh John was a newspaper man. Uh, he was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in the, after the horrible 1997 uh, murders up in Colbrook uh, to include his, his uh, close friend Vicky Bunnell and, and uh, newspaper editor Dennis Jois and two yeah. state troopers. And then, uh, you know, Carl Drager, the, the murderer, was eventually killed that day. So anyway, uh, yeah, so 19, speaking of 1978 uh, – I had just graduated from college was starting to teach up north at Grofton. And I was talking to John, and I said, uh, hey, how about you, you, you want to have somebody do a sports column for the Kowas County Democrat? And we talked about it. He offered me 5 bucks a week to uh, write that a – big money at that time. It, that was a that, lot of that, money yeah. before inflation back in uh, – you know, forty-six years ago, the year that Herman Edwards returned that uh, that <laughs> the Joe Pasargic
0: fumble to Larry Zonka, wasn't it? He was handing and out to that, Zonka. Exa- yeah. Larry
1: Zonka was the running back. Yeah. Yes, yeah. back. So that year, uh, he also offered me another five bucks if I would come in on Monday nights to the Coas County Democrat and do a sports roundup of the local North Country teams. Uh, ah, wow. was called up and down the river.
0: Oh, you were really raking it in then. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 five but five bucks and. Eventually went up to seven fifty. I I had the temerity to ask for a raise, and uh, John was writing a uh, column for the Sunday News, New Hampshire Sunday News, Manchester Sunday New- uh, Union, whatever. Yeah. And he said he was only getting paid ten bucks for writing that. So I that didn't put me. That paper went to sixty thousand homes so I didn't really have a lot of leverage. If he's only making 10 bucks, uh, I guess I got to settle for uh, for five.
0: <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, true legend of the North Country, and uh, I know a very good friend of uh, uh, Peter St. James, and uh, he, John used to be a, a regular uh, guest on a program that uh, Peter and I used to do at another uh, radio station, and always terrific, and uh, very informative and a very funny guy, too. He even had a great sense of humor.
1: Yeah, he when I was writing for the Democrat, every uh, fall they had the Dixville Notch uh, half marathon. used to be a marathon. They also had a relay race, a 12-mile, four-part relay race where we'd have a team of four runners, and I would usually be one of them. But John always ran the last leg, so he would come running into Colebrook where where the finish line was where everybody knows John, and yeah. he'd be— of course, he's going to run the last leg, waving to everybody uh, <laughs> coming into the finish line. Uh, just, uh, just, and I did not. He called me one time a couple of years ago. I was at an airport, just out of the blue, I got a call from from John, and uh, it meant a lot to me. And I mentioned this in my column, and uh, I said to myself, uh, someday I'm, I'm going to call an old friend out of the blue just to give him a shout out, uh, and that will be a way to keep John's uh, spirit alive in a sense. So,
0: yeah. No, exactly. So uh, I can't wait to read uh, your column. It'll come out uh, <laughs> either tomorrow or Wednesday, depending on uh, on where you pick it up. But the Weir's Times has been around a long time, and uh, Michael has been writing for the Weir's Times for uh, for how
1: long? Since
0: 2005. Wow, that's a long time. It's like 17, 18 years now.
1: Except for one year when and- I went to Afghanistan in 2010. There was a little break there, but uh, they brought me back.
0: Well, Mike, I I promise we will talk about the bill that you are about to introduce uh, to the uh, legislature. And it's a good one. It it really is, folks. And it's uh, uh, something maybe not a lot of us think about. But uh, uh, you'll find out what it is. We'll we'll explain uh, right after these words. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are powered by Northeast Delta Dental. Hale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. State Representative Mike Moffett is with us, and uh, Mike represents uh, Merrimack District 4 and represents it uh, very, very well. And uh, we have a lot of things to cover here, but uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, Mike sent me a copy of a bill or a copy of some correspondence uh, that he's had. Uh, concerning uh, the addition of a lieutenant governor here in New Hampshire. And, and Mike, uh, we, we don't really think about that too much, but New Hampshire is one of the few states that does not have a lieutenant governor.
1: Yes, Ken, that is true. And what I have in is what we call a CACR, a, concurrent, uh, a uh, constitutional amendment, concurrent resolution. So technically it's not really a bill. Uh, it's one I had in last term. Um, and, uh, as Calvin Coolidge said, the great Calvin Coolidge, uh, persistence is omnipotent and, uh, yeah. you don't give up. I've had a number of measures, uh, a gifted student bill, a civics bill, a unified sports bill that didn't make it the first time. But if you believe in these yeah. things, uh, you stick with them and, uh, sometimes you can get them to the finish line. There you go. So yeah, yeah I'm bringing this one back. Yeah. Real quick on that. Uh, of course I'm on the, the red team on the Republican side. Yes. And yeah. my, my, uh, Republican colleagues initially look at that and say, well, that's growing government. And uh, that's in a sense true. You're adding another position in government. But the beauty of my proposal, as I see it and hopefully others, is that uh, the lieutenant governor would be paid the same as the Senate president. Uh, who right now is first in line of succession? If if heaven forbid, something happened to a governor, uh, the, the well, that's
0: a huge salary, isn't it, Mike? Well, it's yeah. 100,
1: it's 125 bucks a year.
0: Oh, that's better than five bucks a column, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well
1: <laughs> that's it's been 125 yeah. bucks a year for How long? For a couple hundred years. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the the point of having the lieutenant governor paid the same as the current. Uh, person in line to succeed the governor, only $125, yeah. I think uh, doesn't really grow government that much. I will offer to pay the salary of the new lieutenant governor's first uh, year.
0: All right, we've got this on tape now. Yes. We've got it on tape.
1: Yes, on the record. Cat, um, we've
0: got the tape rolling, right? If M- Mike Moffat would pay the salary of the lieutenant governor should... New Hampshire, enact this into law.
1: The first the first year and... and, and the uh, first year. I'll, I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, uh, you know, of course, I had a couple of civics bills um, get to the governor's desk as well. I, you know, so I care about this stuff. I used to teach uh, history, government. And so right now, if... So something happened to the governor, the Senate president takes over. Now, this has happened several times yep, in the past. Yeah, it has, yeah, uh, Usually for very short periods of time. The, the most recent Senate president, Chuck Morse, uh, when Maggie Hassan became a U.S. senator, she, uh, uh, Chuck became acting governor for a few days. Uh, it happened with, uh, with uh, when, uh, Judd Gregg went to the Senate, mm-hmm. Ralph Hoff, Ralph Howe, from Lebanon at the time, became governor for a little while. But most significantly, in 1982, and Ken, I know you were young then, but I'm sure you remember Hugh Gallen. So John Sununu became governor in 1982, and uh, he beat Hugh Gallen, the incumbent governor, Democrat. And uh, Governor Gallen died while still in office, Mm -hmm. and Vesta Roy uh, was the Senate president, and so she became acting governor for a period of time. Now, she was a Republican and Gallen was a Democrat. Uh, so here's the problem I see with that. I think it's a separation of powers issue. Uh, it's, if, this, say, something, heaven forbid, had happened to Governor Sununu in 2019 or 2020, uh, Senate President Donna Susi would have become governor. Uh, and had this been the case for a long period of time, for months and months, um, Suddenly, you have the head of uh, the legislative branch, the Senate President, uh, also the head of the executive branch, yeah. and uh, that's really a very unwieldy situation. You could conceivably have situations where the Senate President, acting governor, could sign a bill in that, that they or or veto a bill that they didn't like that they had heard on the on the legislative side. So that's a problem with our current setup. Uh, yes, most states have lieutenant governors. not that that's a reason. Just because Massachusetts has, does anything is not necessarily a reason for us to do it. But doing it the New Hampshire way. So it's a heavy lift. Uh, but I, uh, I, I believe in this and so do some other folks. And uh, it's going to come to uh, executive departments and administration, ED&A committee this week. And we'll talk about it. Or, and they'll at least – every bill or proposal gets a hearing. Yeah. And uh, this will get a hearing this week and we'll see if I can present it better than last time.
0: Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it really does. I mean, you just explained some of the reasons why uh, it would be a good idea to have a lieutenant governor, especially at that rate of one hundred and twenty five dollars a year, same as the Senate president. And uh, especially since you're willing to pay that, uh, that, that <laughs> salary for the I, first year. I'm first on the year. record, yep. And, yep, you're on the record now on WKXL. So there, there's uh, nothing like being on the record at WKXL. So, uh, at any rate, uh, and, and then you, you also point out in, in uh, what you passed along to me, uh, just the, uh, the, the ceremonial part of it. I mean, uh, representing uh, the governor of the state of New Hampshire.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, the governor has a scheduler, it's almost it's a job just to uh, maintain the governor's schedule. So the beauty of this measure, as I see it, Ken, of course, it's my measure.
0: Yeah, I understand. But,
1: but part of the beauty I see here is that you double the manpower, or the person power of the executive, the chief executive, uh, basically for free. So you, you get two governors for the price of one. So these countless invitations for ribbon cuttings and dedications and to go here and go there, uh, now you have two people who can do that. And also there's other things. You know, you can kind of position somebody to uh, – for as a future player in New Hampshire politics. It depends. You know, you could uh, have an older person who just has great experience or a young up-and-comer. Mm-hmm. And the last time we had this hearing, I got questions like, well, where is the desk going to be? Or, Are they going to have their own phone? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to pay for the business cards? <laughs> yeah, the, the, these are the questions that, as you know, as a former rep, uh, that's it's not easy to get something through a committee, and it shouldn't be. Again, that's civics. So uh, you know, I have answers to those questions this time around, and uh, so we'll uh, we'll have a hearing. And uh, I, I, as you can tell, I brought it back. I, I believe in it. And yeah. it's um, more people take a little time to look at the wording of the proposed measure. Uh, as you did, Ken, in your great wisdom, uh, you saw a little bit of merit there. it sounds like
0: so. I, I think so, so now, like as in Massachusetts, and we're not you're not doing this because Massachusetts does it i mean uh it it just doing it you're doing it because it makes sense, total sense, and sometimes it doesn't have to make sense, but uh <laughs> at, at least forty three states have lieutenant governors already true yep and uh now, at like in Massachusetts, they would would they run as a team like uh, Sununu and Moffitt, uh, something like that.
1: Yes, yeah, so yeah. it would be, it would be yeah. a ticket. Uh, yeah, it could yeah. be. It could be Ayotte yeah. and Kale, uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, a ticket, sure. Yeah, yes, they so, would run so, in tandem. There are some uh, places where they're elected separately. Yeah. yeah, and I I see that as a little that would be uh, un- a problem. I it, think. It, yeah, it, it could yeah. be. Uh, yeah, if you get uh, you elect a lieutenant governor who doesn't get along with the governor, that there's a few states that have that system, but that's not what I would want to see here.
0: Is there a, a system where it would uh, be, let's say, a Republican governor, a Democratic uh, lieutenant governor? Could that happen in some states?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm try- I've am done some research. I'm trying to think which states select them separately. But it
0: could happen, and yes. it has happened. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's,
1: yeah. uh, in fact, if in U.S. history, it's a little bit different, but uh, initially when our country started, the people who ran for president... And whoever got the second highest number of votes, right. or electoral votes, yeah. became vice president. Right. Yeah. That's why you had uh, John Adams was Thomas uh, Thomas Jefferson's John Adams vice president. Uh, Aaron Burr was uh, Thomas Jefferson's vice president, and while and they were rivals, they hated each other. Yeah. And uh, and so, in fact, as you know, eventually Aaron Burr. Uh, Murdered, or in a duel, he killed Alexander Hamilton. So here, here's the vice president. Oh, don't
0: ruin it for me. I'm oh. gonna, I'm gonna see the musical, very oh, soon. It,
1: uh, I've, uh, uh, it's him. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the, music is good. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, Ham- <laughs> Hamilton dies.
0: But yeah, so it has happened, and it, it, uh, it. I don't know if it's taking place in any, any of the fifty states now, or forty-three where they have lieutenant governors. Uh, but uh, Mike Moffitt is proposing a lieutenant governor for the state of New Hampshire. And I, I think it's a, a very good idea, and uh, I think people should, uh, you know, uh, get on board, especially uh, if you're a legislator. Get on board with this.
1: Listen to Ken Kale. Yeah. He's been around, and uh, he's a former rep himself.
0: Well, there, there you go. There's another job opening right there. <laughs> lieutenant <laughs> governor. <laughs> huh? We'll take a break. Mike Moffat is going to stay with us for uh, one more segment, graciously enough. So we'll uh, take the break and be back. Cale and Company Live presented by Northeast Delta Dental. They have individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHtalkradio.com. The Honorable Mike Moffett in studio, retired Lieutenant Colonel, USMCR.
1: R. for reserve, yes. Yeah, for,
0: for reserve, yes. So uh, Mike is with us, state legislator, uh, representing uh, Merrimack 4 and uh, the beautiful towns of uh, Canterbury and Loudon.
1: Yes, Canterbury and Loudoun, two beautiful towns, two very different towns, my two towns in my district. Uh, love them both, of course. And uh, yeah, they have uh, very different towns. Uh, Canterbury is a little smaller. Uh, Loudoun's a little bit bigger with uh, more business, uh, you know, more traffic, as you know, yep. going to, up and yeah, down tr- 106. Yeah,
0: literally, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I just found out we have uh, listeners to us this morning in Florida. Our good friend Kitty Ray is down there. Uh, she was down there to celebrate uh, the uh, the birthday of her twin brothers, Jerry and Larry.
1: I know them. Uh, yeah, you know yes, yes,
0: yes, uh, you do. From Groveton, from yes. beautiful Groveton. You talk about beauty.
1: Larry uh, and Jerry back in Groveton, uh, way back when I was working for the Youth Center. Uh, the twins that you just mentioned uh, played on. on uh, a uh, Little League baseball team, the Cubs, was their, was their team. And, of course, they were twins, so they put them on the same team, Larry and Jerry. One of them went in the Marines. I ran into them at Camp Pendleton. So, yeah, North Country, uh, shout-out right there.
0: There you go. And Tina's listening uh, as well, all gathered in, in Florida this morning. So uh, they are they are tuned in, tuned in and turned on to Cale & Company with uh, our special guest, uh, Mike Moffett, And we talked about the, uh, the bill that you have uh, – yeah, put into legislation for uh, the lieutenant governor, which I think is a terrific idea. Would you ever consider uh, being in that office?
1: Well, if the lieutenant governor position was ever, uh, which I hope it will be, it's a heavy lift, but if it ever moved forward, which I hope it does, would I do it? Uh, 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 I somehow don't think at my age that's going to happen. Um,
0: at your age? What do you mean? You're still a young man.
1: Well, you know, whoever – if this happens, and I hope it does – I mean, to me, it's very exciting. It opens up – You're like 20
0: years younger than the president of the United States. So, I mean, come on. Well, well, that's – Maybe not quite that much, but you know what I'm saying.
2: uh,
1: You know, he's uh, breaking new ground in terms of longevity. But it does open up, I think, uh, some exciting possibilities. I mean, the governor could kind of shape the lieutenant governor's position the way he wants and put him in charge of whatever – Yeah. you know, it could be the uh, you know the COVID czar or, or uh, oh. the, the czar of whatever. Uh, give him some special uh, assignments, duties. Uh, I, I'm I'm very excited about how uh, this yeah. would make government better in New Hampshire for 125 bucks. A
0: 125 year. bucks a year, folks, and the salary for the first term anyway would be paid by Mike Moffat. There you go. He's gone on record right here on WKXL. All right. Now, I know there's other legislation you're interested in as well. Uh, a lot of talk uh, recently about New Hampshire perhaps losing its status as the first in the nation primary state. But uh, you are of the mind that you you want to uh, kind of reshape our primary process.
1: Yeah, well, not the presidential primary, uh, but... I and others are concerned about the state primaries. Yeah. Uh, there are several measures in to move it up from September to earlier, and there's some good reasons for doing that, uh, pros and cons on that. And also there's some folks, uh, including myself, that think we should talk about uh, perhaps closed primaries. Closed primaries would mean Republicans voting in Republican primaries and Democrats voting in Democrat primaries. Right now uh, there's clearly abuse uh, of uh, you know one-party Uh, getting involved with shenanigans or mischief or trying to pick, uh, influence the outcome of the other party's uh, primary. Uh, Of course, you know, most, or I should say around 40 percent of the New Hampshire electorate are erstwhile undeclared, unaffiliated, independent voters. Um, But there are some folks who are really, uh, say, a Democrat or really a Republican, but they declare is unaffiliated. So then they can vote in either primary. And uh, and that has definitely been a strategy by, in some years, to have uh, your people, in some cases, spend money. Yeah. This happened this past year. Absolutely. Spend money and yeah. also vote in the other party's primary to pick the people you want to run against. I think that is uh, is is not a good thing. The uh, measure that's going to come to election law, uh, actually, tomorrow... Um, uh, several measures. The one that I'm involved with uh, t- wants us to rethink our primary, our, our state primary process. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know where that'll go, but I think it's important to shine a light on some of the problems that our current system entails.
0: And we saw that absolutely last time around. There, there were uh, issues involved with, uh, you know, outside influences and and what have you. Uh, uh, money going toward Republican candidates for from uh, Democratic sources and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, something has to be done about that. But what, uh, uh, what in your mind is going to happen with our uh, presidential uh, primary?
1: Well, I've written about that, too. It's uh, The Republican side, we're fine. Uh, the problem is on the Democrat side, uh, the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, is uh, looking to move South Carolina first, and, uh, and a lot of it has to do with identity politics uh, on the on the on the blue side. New Hampshire being too old and too white, uh, as you see here at this uh, where we are right now, Ken. But uh, but I think that you, there'll never be any perfect state. In fact, uh, the the Democrat electorate in South Carolina is sixty uh, percent African American. That doesn't reflect the whole country either uh, no state really does and I, I think you need a small state to go up front like New Hampshire mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina is not that small a small state as we know allows almost anyone to come in uh, and have a shot uh, And which you can't do you know, if California or New York or Illinois or some Florida, Texas if one of those big states went first uh, only people with big money would have a shot right so anyway, uh, I think New Hampshire is fine, um, and I think that the it'll be interesting to see what happens on the Democrat side. Who w- we will still have the first of nation primary. The Republicans will be here, and on the Democrat side, it'll be interesting to see who comes. I don't think Biden's going to run again, really. I know he says he is, but I really don't think he will. So uh, will Gavin Newsom come here and be on your show, Ken? I predict. I predict that that happens. You predict
0: uh, that Gavin Newsom will be here.
1: I predict that Gavin Newsom will be on yeah, your show. You're going to
0: bring me some expensive food?
1: Um, <laughs> well,
0: so anyway. Uh, From of course, one of those expensive restaurants in California.
1: Well, and they're yeah, getting more expensive. Yeah. Uh, I spend a lot of time in California, yeah. as you as you probably know. and it Gasoline out there is uh, very expensive. And if Gavin Newsom comes in some day, Ken, if he's running for president, when Biden doesn't and he comes to New Hampshire and you talk to him, uh, ask him about these six dollar a gallon gas prices. I mean, how do the poor people get to work with five, exactly. six dollar a gallon gas in yeah. California?
0: No, no doubt about that. So you, it's safe this time around. It's safe on the Republican side. We'll see what happens uh, with the Democrats. But uh, you know, this is this is uh, you know this has been the primary state for over a hundred years, and, and you know, as you pointed out, a state like this is where the real grassroots politics. Takes place. I mean, virtually anybody in this state can meet a uh, presidential candidate or several presidential candidates.
1: Oh, I remember. And vice
0: versa. The candidates can meet the people.
1: Speaking of Grofton, I was in Grofton in 19, before the 1980 primary. Ted Kennedy came up through Grofton and I went and met him. He uh, went through the Grofton paper mill and then I uh, talked him up. Uh, how great is that? Uh, Chris Christie, speaking of Loudon, was, uh, I think it was 2016. Uh, he was at the fire station in Loudoun. He came in. Was he was very good to listen to? Nice crowd. And he said, uh, "New Hampshire, you can't swing a dead cat in New Hampshire without hitting a rep, a former <laughs> rep, spouse of a re- state representative, a former state whatever." So uh, it's wonderful for New Hampshire, and uh, we will see exactly what plays out uh, next year. But the Republicans are fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see who comes on the Democrat side. Yeah, no. Time, time will tell. We'll we'll. Uh, well, I don't think, as I said, I don't think President Biden's going to run again. He says he is, but I just— yeah, I can't see it. And the Democrats I, I, really don't want him to run either. No,
0: he'll be talked out of it, I'm sure.
1: I predict in July yeah, he'll, yeah. he'll make an announcement that yeah. maybe he's not going to run again. And then Gavin Newsom will be in, Ken, and I made the prediction that he will want to be on, on your show.
0: Gavin Newsom will be on this show, predicts Mike Moffat. Uh, we got that on tape, too. <laughs> so uh, Governor Sununu gave his uh, State of the State uh, address— Last week, and I noticed uh, what stood out to me was that there was a history uh, class in attendance from Groveton High School. And I said, Mike Moffat must have something to do with that.
1: You know, I did not. You did not? I was at the uh, inaugural address, which was wonderful. Uh, yeah, the Groveton kids were, were up in the gallery. Mallory Lankow Langta- was the civics teacher up there. I went up and got a picture with her and them. Was uh, And I used to teach uh, civics yeah. up at Groveton. So yeah. Grofton Purple Eagles at the inauguration, wonderful to see. It was
0: great to see. And it was great to see you at the inauguration. I wasn't there, but I did catch a glimpse of you on TV. There was a little quick shot.
1: Yes, I was Uh-oh. sitting behind the uh, the, the, the girl, the little <laughs> girl who sang the anthem, and so I'm sure uh, when she sat down, everybody's cheering. That I was sitting behind her, and and uh, so someone might have seen that I was there. And I, was happy. I
0: saw that I, you were in te- you were in attendance,
1: ha- And happy to be there.
0: As as was the uh, Groveton High School civics class, Mike Moffat, always great, and uh, to see you and have you on the show, and we'll find out what happens with
1: C A C R one. C-A-C-R-1, Lieutenant Governor, it's time. It's it time. is
0: time. The time has come. <laughs> it probably came many years ago, but uh, at least you're, you're pushing it forward. And uh, keep us posted on that. Thanks, Ken. Mike Moffat, retired Lieutenant Colonel, USMCR, here on Cale & Company, representing Merrimack 4, the beautiful towns of London, of uh, Loudoun and uh, Canterbury. We'll take a break. Kael Company continues right after these words on WKXL and NHtalkradio.com, powered by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kael and Company live here for a Monday, a very special Monday, because it is Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. And if you should see a police officer or a state trooper today, just take a minute, not even a minute, just thank them for his or her service uh, to our city, to the city you happen to be in, to our state, uh, because they do an amazing job. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we uh, sometimes take them for granted. But uh, what law enforcement does is something very, very special and uh, meaningful. And just uh, on, on on this day in particular, Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, just... just say thank you for what you do. John Leahy is with us. John, good morning
2: to you. Good morning, Ken. And uh, I'd like to follow up your comment by also uh, giving a shout-out to a couple of members of my own family who have been uh, law enforcement officers. Uh, They're both retired. One was a Vermont state trooper, and another one was local down here in Massachusetts. But you're right, they put it all out on the line. And I'd like to uh, thank them and all the law enforcement officers out there.
0: Now, absolutely. I did not know that, John. I I did not know you had uh, relatives in in law enforcement up until this very moment. So uh, I'm glad you did have the opportunity to send them a a shout out here. And uh, I hope everyone takes just just a second. It's only going to take three seconds out of your day to just thank these people uh, for their service and uh, what they do is so important uh, to our our well-being and the, the community that we live in. Well, Indeed. John, it was finally, finally a good weekend uh, for the UNH Hockey Wildcats in Hockey East.
2: Yeah, Ken, they're my team of the week. Uh, they went down to Schneider Arena in Providence Friday and uh, not only beat the Providence Friars, who are a ranked team, but uh, they shut them out, and then they followed that up yesterday with an impressive win over Sacred Heart, so a terrific weekend for the UNH Wildcats, and hopefully uh, they're going to build from here. And uh, they have a big test coming up uh, at UMass in their next game. But I know uh, Mike Souza and his crew. Uh, it's been a long time coming for the Wildcats to have success, and hopefully they can build on it.
0: Yeah, hopefully uh, that that will be the case, and and take that uh, momentum on to uh, to take on a very good uh, UMass team. Uh, So uh, congratulations uh, to Mike and his crew for an outstanding weekend, Uh, a big conference win uh, against Providence, 2-0 was that uh, score, and then yesterday's win at the uh, Whittemore Center against uh, a non-conference rival, Sacred Heart. And uh, John, uh, unfortunately not such a great weekend uh, for the team that uh, that you uh, broadcast games for, and that is the uh, Merrimack College Warriors.
2: Yeah, Merrimack really stumbled this weekend, Ken. They played two teams from the ECAC. Uh, Yale on Friday night, a team that only had two wins. Merrimack had to <clears throat> excuse me, rally uh, to just get a 3-3 tie. And then Saturday night, uh, let's face it, it was a bad hockey game for Merrimack. Uh, they played Brown, a four-win team from the ECAC. Brown scored 33 seconds into the game, and they had their foot on the gas for the rest of the game. Merrimack had no answer. There was no pushback until... Uh, The Warriors were down by five goals. So uh, uh, it's not a stretch to say this was by far the worst weekend of hockey for Merrimack. And uh, ever since the Christmas break, uh, the Warriors have been uh, stumbling. So Merrimack uh, is finished with non-league play, and and they've got to fix it quickly because they've got Providence coming to town this weekend for two games. And uh, so there is some concern right now down in North Andover.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, as there should be. However... Uh, if you just take a look at the standings, uh, Merrimack is still atop the Hockey East uh, standings and uh, with 27 points, uh, and they have uh, four games in hand over uh, the team that they are tied with right now points-wise, and that is UConn. But as you said, uh, they have to turn the ship around pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, they do, and these league games are what really matter in the pairwise uh, which is the formula which determines... Which teams go to the national tournament? Uh, they only dropped a couple of spots nationally in the pairwise. Uh, when they came back from Christmas break, uh, I believe they were third in the pairwise. But this four-game skid has dropped them down to tenth. So they're still in good shape, uh, but these league games are going to matter a whole lot more. And, and if you don't win them, you're going to you're going to tumble out of that pairwise pretty quickly. So. Um, it's it, like I said, Ken. It's all non. It's all league stuff now. So uh, Merrimack's got to uh, fix it and fix it fast.
0: Yeah, no, no question about that. Uh, what else happened over the weekend with uh, Hockey East?
2: Well, on the men's side, Ken, uh, you know, Frozen Fenway was a tremendous success. Uh, Northeastern picked up a win over UConn on uh, on Saturday, and also uh, Boston College picked up a win over UMass. So uh, there were great crowds. And uh, congratulations to those teams for, uh, for picking up uh, victories at Fenway. Uh, Providence picked up a tie last night against Army uh, on the road, 3-3, and Vermont and Yale played a 1-1 tie also yesterday. So uh, uh, it was a good weekend for Maine as well, as uh, Maine swept a couple of uh, non-league games against uh, Alaska Anchorage. And uh, uh, Northeastern, as I said, beat UConn. Providence was uh, 0-1-1, uh, BU split. Uh Lowell had a win over AIC in uh, non-league play. And uh, uh, Vermont with the tie and UNH with the sweep. So um, we're coming down to the end of non-league play, Ken. So uh, we're going to get into league action here. And uh, uh, it's going to be a big weekend for Hockey men because uh, um, two of the teams are going to help uh, Sacred Heart open up their new building. Boston College and Sacred Heart will play this weekend. That's going to be Sacred Heart's first game uh, in their uh, brand-new arena. Oh, wow. And, uh, they're, they're certainly looking forward to that. And, uh, there's also going to be an opening on the women's side as well for Sacred Heart. So, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be terrific. And we have uh, some great games coming up this weekend.
0: Well, those, those Connecticut schools getting, uh, new facilities, uh, Sacred Heart will open up, uh, this weekend. And I, and I believe they've already opened up at, at
2: UConn, correct? Yeah. Uh. Actually, uh, UConn is going to open up their facility uh, this weekend. Oh, uh, this weekend? To, okay, yeah. This Northeast, weekend. yeah. Northeastern's heading down to stores, and they'll be the first team to play uh, at uh, the new facility in UConn. And Ben Boston College is opening up the new uh, rink down at Sacred Heart, so it's oh. going to be a historic week. I guess uh, for so. Connecticut, yeah, for Connecticut hockey. So uh, great for them, and uh, they finally get a, a rink on campus.
0: Yeah, and I know Sacred Heart played. Uh, Quite a few of their games uh, in, in Bridgeport. I mean, Sacred Heart is uh, in Bridgeport or Fairfield, depending on uh, w- what side of the line you're on. But I know they played uh, you know, in the uh, same facility as the, uh, the Bridgeport Islanders for, for quite some time. I used to go down when I was doing the Monarchs. Uh, a lot of times uh, Sacred Heart would be playing a, a game before the American Hockey League. A game that night, so uh, I know they've been kind of orphaned, but now they have their own facility, so that's terrific. Yeah,
2: I've never done a game in Bridgeport. I've I've driven by that arena many many times. I've heard uh, great things about it, but no. Uh, anytime you talk to Mike Cavanaugh, the head coach at uh, UConn men's hockey, uh, he's been talking about that arena and how special it's going to be. And uh, the thing is, UConn is still going to play some games at the Excel Center in Hartford. They're not going to abandon it, but uh, right. like I said, for the most part, the UConn, uh, both the men and the women are going to play uh, at home in stores, so uh, they're very excited about that new arena down there.
0: I guess so. Well, what's the capacity, you know?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I think that information is available online. Yep. Uh, they, they, they probably have a Wikipedia article uh, written about it right now, so... Uh, That probably has that information, but I I hope to see it down the road. Uh, Merrimack doesn't do road broadcasts anymore, but uh, I'm hopeful uh, to get down there just to check it out and and see uh, how great a facility it is.
0: Yeah, it'll be uh, terrific to see. I know they had a a good crowd at Fenway. What what was, do you know what the attendance was? I I never saw what the attendance was.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know off the top of my head either, but Ken, uh, they have those figures online. If you go to com and check out the box scores, uh, they usually print the attendance with it. But uh, from what I've heard, uh, the, the attendance was uh, very good at Fenway and the, the uh, weather conditions were optimal. So, uh, they were, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I think I think overall it was a, a very good success all the way around. Absolutely,
0: John Leahy is with us, so uh, we would be remiss if we did not mention the uh, the women's side of the Hockey East Ledger.
2: Yeah, well, uh, B U and Holy Cross played in the uh, in the women's Frozen Fenway on Friday, and Holy Cross snapped a thirteen uh, game losing streak by uh, beating Boston University by a score of three to two. So. Uh, certainly a big win for the Crusaders as they try to get back on track. Uh, Northeastern and BU played yesterday, and uh, Northeastern won 6 to nothing. So the Huskies continue to roll on. As I uh, apologize for the condition of my voice, uh, the Huskies with 47 points. They've got a 13-point lead over Vermont as uh, Vermont swept Providence this weekend. That was a clash of the titans. The Friars went up to Vermont, and uh, Vermont handled business, so the Catamounts are now in second place, P.C. with a sweep over Maine. So uh, the Eagles are red hot. They've won seven in a row. And uh, Merrimack and UNH both played in a tournament out in Minnesota. And uh, they both were swept by two very good teams, Minnesota and St. Cloud State. So the women are coming around the bend, too. And uh, they're going to also play a lot of league games coming up. So the women are coming down the home stretches. They finish earlier than the men, too. So uh, the, the action going to heat up very quickly. Uh, by the way, I mean,
0: but while you were talking about the uh, women's results in Hockey East, I just checked it out. 22500 was the announced attendance at Fenway Park for the uh, doubleheader on Saturday night. So there you go. That's 22, awesome. 22500 So a great crowd at, at Fenway for uh, that uh, doubleheader on Saturday. The frozen Fenway twin bill. John, as always, thank you. I take care of that uh, golden voice and... Uh, Uh, We will see you again uh, in Concord uh, in early February, so we look forward to that.
2: Absolutely, Ken. I can't wait to get up there, and uh, in the meantime, I'll talk to you next week.
0: Looking forward to it. John Leahy, voice of the Merrimack College Warriors hockey team, always checking in on Monday, bringing us up to date on uh, Hockey East.